the story in Exodus chapter 16, I think is really fascinating. It's, a, it's an interesting story, and even in the time that I've spent in it, as I read it again this morning, um, lots of questions that I have that just that surround what's going on and why and understandings and, and all of the details that I still don't get that are taking place in this interaction. But there are bits and pieces that have begun to rise to the surface for me. And over the last uh, week or so, as we've spent time on it, they've, they've risen up, and some of those thoughts I want to share, and many of them I'll forget. Part of the reason we do our small group the way that we do. It's so that you too can take the scripture and you can come back and you can go, yeah, but what about this part? Or what's happening here? Or what about this question? Or, or this thing was stirred in me. We intentionally want you to wrestle with the scriptures. If you show up believing that I have figured all of this out, then you are sorely mistaken. Sorely mistaken. And if all that you're getting from the scriptures is what I show up and tell you week after week, then you are getting an incredibly distorted view of what God longs for you to hear because there is more. There is more than my voice. I hope and I pray that each week as I sit before you, I'm sharing the things that God has has spoken to me and then I turn around and share them again. But we need, we expect, we look for you to, to wrestle with the scriptures, to ask questions. At one point I was going to tell you, and I'm not supposed to now, I have to actually get started with what I'm supposed to do, but at one point I was going to tell you about a teenager who came last week and asked me questions about what I had to say. And I loved it as we had a conversation about what we were talking about in Sabbath and the way that it worked and his understandings and my understandings. And I am not the end-all be-all. We trust the Holy Spirit for that. But today I'm going to share with you What I feel like God showed me about this story. The Israelites are a month or so out of Egypt. And already they have this growing concern, this growing doubt that they've made a mistake. Maybe they shouldn't have left. Maybe they should have stayed in Egypt. They're 30 days out of slavery. And somehow not yet had God proven to them that it was a good idea for them to follow God. Can you imagine? I think that most of the time as I read this passage, I love to read it and point fingers at how terrible the Israelites were. I mean, how dare that they miss all of this? How in the world could they think that slavery was somehow better than this unknown that they were walking in, but they were walking with God with the pillar of fire and the, the cloud in which God led them? How could they possibly think such a thing? How could they possibly think that Egyptian torture was better than trusting God? How could they possibly think that baking bricks somehow might be better than this pursuit of this land that they're told would be overflowing with milk and with honey. And yet, just as I want to take the passage and begin to point fingers and begin to notice how short-sighted the Israelites are, I'm reminded of how often the same is true of me. The same is true of us. How often that we want to trust God, we want to follow God, but when push comes to shove, when the rubber meets the road, when it actually becomes time to do it, it requires a little too much faith. So we choose slavery over the promised land. We choose overworking over Sabbath. 
because surely God doesn't actually understand how our life is or what's better for us or good for us. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself. If so, that's all right. But, but let me keep going. Just over a month or outside of this, they've watched miracle after miracle take place. And, and as I read the story and I wonder, what more is it that God had to do? What more did God have to do to prove to them that they were loved, to prove to them that they were, they were protected, they were provided for? The passage tells us in, in Exodus 16 that, that what more had to happen here is that God had to give them more food. So the story says that God did the unexplainable. God worked a miracle, and in this unimaginable, unexplainable way, food came. God fed his people, and as I read this and I wondered, I wondered the same thing about me. What is it that God has to do? What more does God have to do to convince me that his ways are actually better than mine? That his desires for my life actually make more sense than mine. That his understandings and what God has given us through the scriptures and through the continued work of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit is actually better than what I could dream up. In the story, morning after morning, they came out and they found this this bread-like substance. The passage tells us they could take as much as they needed for the day. And that it was always enough. And I don't even understand how it makes sense that those that took too little had enough and those that took too much had enough. They were told precisely how much to take, but somehow they struggled with measuring or something. I'm not sure. But though, but again, those that took too little, there was enough. Those that took too much, there was enough. And yet at the same time, they couldn't save it. If they did, it would rot and be filled with maggots. And yet, as we would, some took too much. The way that this, this stuff worked was so confusing to them that they couldn't even fully understand it. Moses had told them that they could, they could bake it, they could boil it, so apparently it could be heated up, it could be cooked, and yet at the same time, we're told that any that was left, so any that they didn't need that had fallen on the ground, when the sun came up and the dew melted away, the heat of the sun would melt it away and it would dissolve. So somehow the heat of the sun dissolved it, but the heat of the oven cooked it. I don't understand how it worked. It doesn't make sense to me how it all took place or how it worked. And I think we find that they too felt the same way. They were so surprised, so confused, so without understanding as to how this stuff worked that they called it manna, which literally means, what is it? What is this stuff that we've been given? As I mentioned, manna came with expectations. There were certain understandings that they were given that Moses gave them from God that they could and couldn't do with manna. One of them, they could not save it overnight. Now, as I said, many tried. My suspicion, many of us would do the same kind of thing. We would try just in case. It came on the first day, but what if it doesn't the second? It came on the second, but what if it doesn't the third? It came for six weeks straight, but what if it doesn't show up tomorrow? So we would have always saved more just in case. And what did they find when they did so? They found maggots in this nasty smell in their house. And then they brought more work on themselves because instead of just going to collect, now they had to clean out their container that they collected it in. Simply by not listening... By not following the expectations of manna. We also told that they couldn't collect manna on Sabbath. 
So they had to prepare beforehand. They had to get ready for what was coming. And again, I don't understand the way that this all made sense. Even some of the logistics of the timing of how it worked. You know, what time did it fall? Because the Sabbath went from sundown to sundown. Then I, I don't know. I don't know. I just know that on Sabbath we're told none would fall. So somehow this stuff that rotted overnight and was filled with maggots. On the day before the Sabbath, they collected twice as much and it could be saved overnight. And the next day it was fine. And that was what they ate. And for those who didn't prepare, those who didn't collect double, Sabbath must have been a day of fasting. Because God told them there won't be any on Sabbath. And there never was. Exodus 16, the the passage that we've read and where we are, is the, the second occurrence of Sabbath in the Scriptures. It's the second time that we see Sabbath being mentioned and being talked about. But this is actually the first time that it comes with any kind of limits or expectations or responsibilities put on the people. The first time we talked about Sabbath, when we read about it in Genesis chapter 2, the very beginning of that, as we saw the creation story that overlaps from chapter 1 into chapter 2, we see Sabbath happen. But what we're told there is that God took Sabbath, that God rested and that creation was invited to join God in that action. But here in Exodus 16, we see these limits that are laid down, these these rules concerning how it is that they're to remember this day, to recognize this day, to celebrate this special and holy day and what takes place. And this morning as we talk about Sabbath, I want us to notice some of the expectations, some of the practices that took place so that as we think about Sabbath, we can also think about what might that mean for us? What might it mean in our life? And we have to start here again, something we talked about some last week. We have to start with the idea that Sabbath was a gift. Notice that verse 29 says this. They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. Now, I don't think this actually lines up with what most of us think about Sabbath. I think that most of us think about Sabbath and we think about it in a way that has to do with the commandments. We think about it in a way that has to do with rules. We think about it in what we can and can't do. And and the entire idea around it is that that's the way that Sabbath is supposed to work. But contrary to our beliefs, Scripture says Sabbath is a gift. Sabbath didn't exist to put us behind our competition. Sabbath was not created so that you and I had to work harder for six days than everybody else does because we didn't get to use seven days to do what they got seven days for and we only get six days for. Sabbath is not some divine conspiracy that God created to put us in our place. To always remind us that we're lesser than God or lesser than other people. Now, yes, it is an opportunity for us to learn that we need to worship God, but it's not about smacking us down back into our place. It's not about putting us behind. It's not some kind of punishment so that we grasp our lowliness. Scriptures say it's a gift. As we track the practice of Sabbath from the Old Testament into the New Testament, we find there's some distortions along the way. There's some some misunderstanding, some misalignment, some damage that happens to the practice of Sabbath. Some ways in which it's corrupted. 
But when we find Jesus talking about the Sabbath, we find that, that he didn't just wash it away. He didn't just get rid of it. He didn't say, well, you've made such a mess of Sabbath. I'm just going to throw the whole thing out and get rid of it. Instead, Jesus tried to tell them why Sabbath existed in the first place. Jesus tried to remind them that Sabbath was about the gift not the laws, not the requirement, not the expectations, that this thing was a gift, it was a privilege, it was holy. And I think it's important, if we're ever going to understand Sabbath the way that the Scriptures do, the way that I think God intended us to, a way that's different than most of us have experienced in our past, we have to start at the place of grasping Sabbath is a gift. Now, how can something be a gift and a law, a gift and a requirement? Yeah, I know, really confusing. I think we're going to get there, but you've got to give me three more weeks after this one to try, and, to try and get there, okay? But we have to start at this place of trying to go, Sabbath is a gift. Now, here's the bad news, because let me be honest. Other than the whole requirement expectation that some of us are already struggling with, here's the bad news about the gift. If you and I start practicing Sabbath regularly, Sabbath will not always feel like a gift. Sorry, but it's just the reality. I, I don't know how to say it any other way. I don't know how to, how to proclaim it. Any, I don't know how to talk about it any other way. If you and I start regularly practicing Sabbath, sometimes, and sometimes every time for a while, it's will be painful. It it, it is. Because Sabbath does battle with this idea, with this mentality that we have that we are created to succeed. Sabbath does battle with this desire inside of us that we have to accomplish certain things. If you begin to make Sabbath a regular part of your life, I promise you there will be times that you feel incredibly lazy. That you start to even wrestle with the idea of how have I wasted an entire day? I have so much that I could get done and, and I've wasted this day by not doing anything, by, by taking this idea of Sabbath. And, and if you do so, again, I, I don't know how to say it any other way. I wish we got the warning here. We don't. But I can tell you in my own life, and our own practice, when we started Sabbath, it was really painful. Some days it was like, I can't do this. And even though for several years, Sally, or Sally, whoever this person is on the front row, she's been gone long enough. I don't even remember her name. Wow. Hey, nice to meet you. Glad you're here. For those of you who haven't been here before, this is Callie, my wife. Even when Callie and I committed that this was going to be a part of what we did regularly, that we were going to to create some boundaries and some limits and some rules, it began really, really hard. And even though we're several years into that practice now, there are still weeks I don't want to do it. Like Sabbath comes around the corner. It's like, no, there's, there's too much I have to get done. I cannot stop. But if we don't, we feel it. If we don't, then we find pain on the other side of it. But, but I have to tell you that when we begin this, it becomes painful. 
It puts us to a place that we start to question our worth, our value, our identity, even our priorities. And I think that's because Sabbath begins to change us. And change is usually difficult, and change is sometimes incredibly painful. And even though it won't always feel like a gift, we have to start with the understanding that the Scriptures tell us Sabbath is a gift. And we have to believe that God wouldn't lie to us. Sabbath was created as a gift. A second thing I want us to notice with regards to what's going on with Sabbath here in this story is that they had to prepare for Sabbath. Let me read verse 29 again. It says, They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. That is why he gives you a two-day supply on the sixth day. So there'll be enough for two days. On the Sabbath day, you must stay in your place. Do not go out to pick up food on the seventh day. On the, on the day before the Sabbath, they had to collect a double portion. They had to be prepared for the Sabbath. They had to prepare. And in the same way, as you and I begin to practice Sabbath in our life, we have to prepare for the reality that Sabbath is coming. Last week, as we talked about Sabbath, we talked about stopping. And we talked about the idea that if we were going to practice Sabbath, it had to include a hard stop of some certain things in our life. There were things we have to leave out. There are certain things we have to leave behind in order to experience Sabbath. One of those we're told over and over again in scriptures is work. We're supposed to leave behind work. But alongside that, we have to grasp, too, that we can't just leave work. But for many of us, that also means that we have to leave behind what it means for us to do all of our preparing for work. For many of us, that means we have to leave behind our thoughts of how am I going to accomplish my work. I'm taking this day off, but if we spend the entire day that we don't work thinking about how am I going to get caught up now? How am I going to get my work done? What do I have to do? And we're still overwhelmed by our to-do list. Then we've missed out on the entire idea of Sabbath and what it's supposed to be. So let me tell you something incredibly practical for me. For me to experience Sabbath, one of the things that I have to leave behind is email. I have, to, I have to shut it off. I have to not look at my emails because email is an absolute time suck. It fills our brains. It changes our schedules and our priorities. It convinces us when one comes in that there are certain things we have to do that maybe we don't actually have to do. So for me, in order to be in, in, an, in an emotionally healthy place to Sabbath, I have to take that time completely away from it. I don't know about you, but I have to do the same thing at night. If I check my email at 10 p.m., I'm probably not going to sleep that night. It ruins my entire night because there are all these things that are now swimming around in my brain. And that's the reason I have to leave it behind on Sabbath. And yet, I have to plan for the reality that that's coming. I have to work ahead. I have to make sure that emails are answered before Friday comes. All those things that came in, that they're answered, that they're taken care of, that they're dealt with, that, that, that I've thought about them beforehand. One of the things I do to prepare, if you send me an email on Friday or Saturday, every week you get an auto reply that comes back. And it tells you that on Friday, I don't do valley work. And on Saturday, we take Sabbath. Now, what I can't put in the email because it's just long and kind of hard to explain, the truth of the way Sabbath typically works for us, and sometimes we have to make some some planned alterations of Sabbath in our schedule, but typically it starts around nap time Friday and it goes to around nap time on Saturday because our kids have impacted how we do Sabbath. And during one of those nap times, we're usually doing some work. 
And during the other of those nap times, we take that as Sabbath that Callie and I get together without the kids. And sometimes we do things together and sometimes we do things individually. But it allows us, if we create it around those ideas, to practice a Sabbath that fits us and fits our family. So a word or two about Friday. Why why Friday and Saturday? We're told to take one Sabbath, not two Sabbaths. So what are you doing? Why is it both? Because on Friday, in order for me to fully participate in Sabbath, I have to get done all of the work that's unpaid work. All of our lives are overwhelmed with that, aren't they? We have all this work we also have to do that is unpaid work. And Sabbath is not supposed to be the day that we get all of those things done. So for us, we spend Friday trying to get many of those things done. We do laundry and we repair things around the house and we clean things that need to be cleaned and we mow the yard and we go run errands and all the work things that sometimes tax us that we don't get paid for, we try and get those done on that day. And that's why we take that day. That's our, that's our catch up with all of our unpaid work day. So I deal with paid work on the days that I deal with paid work and I deal with unpaid work on the days that I need to deal with unpaid work so that we can experience Sabbath because Sabbath is not a day of work, whether it's paid or unpaid work. Sabbath in the scriptures is supposed to be a 24 hour period that is free from work. And I know there's a million questions that are going around. Well, what if I can't do 24 hours? What if I, I, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But what we understand is that ideally, Sabbath is a 24-hour period that's free from work. Sabbath is a 24-hour period that's free from expectations, but obviously not all expectations. My wife, my kids, my family still have things that they expect of me. That doesn't mean that I don't have to do them. Believe it or not, we still have to change Wilson's diaper on the Sabbath. I don't know why the kid can't figure out just not to do it on that day. Obviously, they're going to happen, but Sabbath is supposed to be a day that's also free from pressure, but obviously not all pressure. There are things that still come. There are things that still surface. There are things that we still have to deal with. But ideally, we leave behind work. We leave behind expectations. We leave behind pressure. We leave behind stress. We leave behind to-do lists. And we say, today, I'm going to leave all of those things, even though they're undone. I'm going to leave them behind, and I'm going to take a day away from them. Now, in some ways, I hate to even mention all of those specifics because we do so quickly get caught up in the specifics. But my kid still has to have his diaper changed. Well, of course he does. Our family still has to eat, and somebody has to prepare a meal. Well, of course. And too often, we get caught up in the legality of what does it mean for us to get to this, and we miss The idea that it's a gift. Emergencies happen. Exceptions come along. Allowances have to take place. About once a month, Callie and I have to move the actual day that Sabbath takes place for us. Because we have a, a thing that has to happen, a meeting that has to take place. And some of our other people, because of the way that they practice Sabbath, we can't do it when we had hoped we would. So we shift Sabbath intentionally. We schedule shifting Sabbath so that it takes place at a different time. It doesn't mean we just erase it. It doesn't mean we just get rid of it. We believe it still has to be a part of our life. It still has to be a part of what we do. And it's a gift that we were called to celebrate. The goal is not about the specifics, the Details every little piece of what you can and cannot do. The goal of Sabbath, the gift of Sabbath, is a change of heart. Sabbath reminds us 
of God. Church, Sabbath reminds us that we are loved. Sabbath reminds us that God is in control. So even though I leave behind things that aren't, un, that aren't done, God has it. Sabbath reminds us that God wants to bless us. And if these things aren't happening, no matter how you and I write Sabbath, if we're not remembering God, if we're not remembering we're loved, if we're not remembering God is in control, if we're not remembering that God wants to bless us, if those things aren't taking place in Sabbath, we're not actually practicing Sabbath. We're practicing a corrupted view of what Sabbath is supposed to be. Eugene Peterson has some very um, uh, firm words for the idea of trying to replace Sabbath with a day off. You don't want me saying them from up here, so I'm not going to, but you can probably Google them or something. Um, They're in a book. I can help you find which one if you want to read it. But it's it's not a one-for-one. This is what Sabbath looks like. It's different than a a day off from just work, that we fill it with unpaid work. Let me move to a third thing that I want to say this morning. We talk about Sabbath as a gift. We talk about preparing for Sabbath. Here's a final thing. As far as this passage is concerned, we're given an understanding of why Sabbath exists. And there's a multitude of ways in which we can answer this question. But based on what I see in this passage and what we're supposed to be learning about why Sabbath exists, is because God wants to do miraculous things. Now, again, there's a whole way we could answer Sabbath. But I think here, one of the things we see, Sabbath exists because God wants to work miracles. Verse 29 again, it says, They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. That's why he gives you a two-day supply on the sixth day, so there'll be enough for two days. On the Sabbath day, you must stay in your place. Do not go pick up food on the seventh day. They need to be reminded that they were cared for. So in this miraculous way, God filled the ground with bread as if an overnight frost had happened, as if a flurry had come in from nowhere and snow, just just a dusting had been left on the ground and they could go out and they could collect this, this stuff that filled the ground everywhere. They didn't know how to describe it. They couldn't figure out how they could save it. They didn't know where it came from. They didn't fully understand it. There were so many things that they didn't get about the way that it worked. But they knew this without a shadow of a doubt. They could rely on it. Not one time in the six days that it was promised it would happen in a week, not one single time did God change his mind and decide, well, guess what? Today I'm not going to feed you. They could rely on this every single time. And in the same way, they could rely on the fact that it would not show up on Sabbath. Because that gave even more evidence that what was happening with this bread was miraculous. They didn't just end up at a place that this happened. They didn't just happen along a place that this incredible thing happened. All of a sudden, bread was on the ground and every night quail would show up. And wow, what is this incredible place we showed up in? No, no, no. This was a work of God, which is why it skipped a day. So that they could understand this was a miracle. Every time it was done was miraculous. Every time they could save extra was miraculous. God was in control of what was taking place. God wanted to work a miracle by providing for them in miraculous ways that they could never look for or expect or understand. And church, hear me. God wants to perform some Sabbath miracles in our lives. I believe it without a shadow of a doubt. God wants to provide us with things we never even imagined possible. But he does ask that we take the first step and that we trust him 
so he can do it. There's another miracle that takes place here. It's the miracle of rest. Rest was miraculous for them. They had spent generations as slaves. All they knew was the life of abuse. All that they knew was the life of endless working. All that they knew was being valued by how much they could produce. So God, in a miraculous way, wanted to give them a break. God wanted to give them the chance to breathe. God wanted to remind them that they were loved, that they were provided for. Not because they used to be slaves. This isn't a, because you were slaves, let me fix it. Also, not just because they were headed towards the promised land. Because you're my people and you're headed towards the promised land, let me show you how much you're loved. God wanted to remind them that they were loved because that's what God does with people. God loves people. And one of the incredible miracles of the rest that came from Sabbath is that these people got to be reminded that they were loved. Period. Not because of this or because of that or because they accomplished this or did that or be. They were loved because that's what God does. Church, it's so hard for us to believe that Sabbath is a gift. And yet the scriptures say that it's holy, that it's miraculous. And we can talk about all the theoretical of what might happen. I think the reality is that if you and I allow this to become a part of our life, that God will work miracles. That God will renew our mind and our body and our soul in ways we never imagined possible. That God will provide for us in ways that we never even dreamed imaginable. That God will give us gifts we never even knew to expect. I think if you and I would practice Sabbath in a real and committed and faithful way, that God would change us. That God would give us rest. Oh, how deeply we need rest. One of the books that I've read about Sabbath over the last few weeks is called 24-6, a prescription for a healthier, happier life. And in it, Matthew Sleeth, who actually wrote the book in 2012, said this, In the last 20 years, work is up 15% and leisure is down 30% and things are only getting worse. He wrote that in 2012. What do you think it looks like in 2018? But the truth is, I don't need a book to tell me that people are getting busier and busier and busier. I don't need a book to tell us that we are tired. I see it in your faces. I see it in our relationships. I see it in the stories that you tell me about what life looks like and how consumed we are and how many things we have to do and we can't keep up with. I don't need a book to prove to me that it's true because I see it over and over again just in our passing life. This week, I had an appointment. Not at all connected to work, but I went to this appointment and this lady was there and she was talking to me. And just in her beginning to talk, I could hear Tired in her voice. And then as she began to tell me her story and all the weight that was on her, more and more she began to talk about how overwhelmed she was. I'm not sure what her faith journey looks like, but I knew that this was an opportunity for me to tell her that God had given her a gift of Sabbath. 
that God had given her a great blessing that she could take hold of. And if she would make this a part of her life, that I believed that God would work in her life in some miraculous ways. So we talked about what Sabbath might look like for her. We talked about some of the ways that she might put that to work, that she might find rest, that she might be made whole. And we're not done with this conversation. Like I said, we're going to stay here for several weeks because I think there's a lot that we need to get figured out and we need to get kind of fleshed out in this conversation. But, but let me say this to you. What if you and your family were to actually look for a way to plan a Sabbath? Now, as I told you, the first one's going to be a little bit painful. So I would actually encourage that you plan more than one because you're not going to like the first one at all. And you might not like the second or the third or the fourth one. But eventually there will become this breath of fresh air that you find. What if you were to plan a day? What if you were to plan a time? What if you were to plan to leave some things behind? What if you were to prepare for it? Because you have to prepare to make sure that this happens. To leave behind your to-do list. To leave some things undone and to know that you'll come back to them. Church, Sabbath is more than rest. But it is at least rest. So what if you were to plan a day of rest? And to let God use this holy day to give you rest. And to make you whole once again. I think it might do some miraculous things. Pray with me, would you? Lord Jesus, we come before you on this day. This day that for many of us is our practice of Sabbath. And God, I ask that as we do so, that you would give us rest. That you would renew our body. That you would restore our mind. That you would restore our soul to wholeness. God, overwhelm us with the beautiful gift of Sabbath. And let us not get distracted or caught up in the rules. Let us understand that the rules exist, that we create rules around our Sabbath. Because if we don't do so, we'll cheat. And we don't want to cheat this gift you've given us. We want to breathe in every single drop of it. So teach us how. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.